Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. The year is 1944. A Seabee with the United States Navy on leave from clearing brush to make room for a landing strip along the eastern coast of Tana in the New Hebrides off Papua New Guinea is pulling back the leaves of a great jungle plant. The Seabee discovers that he's happened upon a village. A boy in a loincloth laughs to see the white man's face. He smiles and runs, and the CB follows him to the center of the village, where within moments he's surrounded by twenty natives, gaping at his blue trousers and shirt and funny white hat. Who are you, they ask him, in a native tongue that he doesn't understand. All the same, he manages to answer them without knowing that he is. I'm John, he says. John from America. Fast forward 30 years, 1974. A native man sits surrounded by the other men of the village in the dark of the evening, his face illuminated by the glow of a crackling fire. This man calls himself a prophet and tells of a day many years ago when he met John Frum, an American god. John Frum promised to return, bringing with him vast stores of cargo so that the natives might live in luxury. And the return of John Frum is nigh. This is just one version of events used to explain the existence of cargo cults in Papua New Guinea and the surrounding islands. The only problem is, it probably never happened, and even if it did, it could only begin to explain the complex interplay of belief, ritual, and apocalypse that spread through the islands of Melanesia in the mid-20th century. My name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of our secret order of alchemical actors and doctor of alternative religions and things occult. I am joined on this day by Shannon Landers, our instaquisitor. Hello. What's up, Shannon? It's okay. You know, I, I'm just here. You're just here. I'm just here. I, uh, yeah. All right, then. Uh, <laughs> Olivia Literal, who, who is uh, furiously looking through the uh, back archives of the Confessors in order to find a title for our last uh, discussant today. Olivia, how are things going? Hello. I'm, I'm looking. There's, a, there's like a good six. Yeah, to so, so Sam Steen is, hey. is back here with us at the microphone. It's uh, good to be back. Speaking of the microphone, by the way, we are on a different microphone today. We had some technical difficulties with our setup, uh, which I, I'm told will be addressed post haste because we are uh, still on warranty. Uh, but uh, <laughs> good old warranty. We are we are all gathered together, and uh, so so luckily uh, Andrew Mims, who's, who's relatively new to the podcast, is engineering this episode, and you'll be hearing him a little bit later as as our Monoma Carey character. Uh, anyhow, uh, Olivia, uh, Sam's Sam's title. We need to give this man a title. What what have we got? Uh, what are your favorites from what our listeners suggested? So uh, incidentally. As long as Shannon's here, you can go on social media. We're frequently asking for your opinions on things, right, Shannon? We sure are. And in this case, uh, like eight years ago, we asked for what Sam <laughs> might be titled. Yeah, literally 21 weeks ago. I Sam went was to a 12 new, and a half. I went to a new school. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Olivia, we don't need to hear all the suggestions, but what are, what are your favorites here? Uh, well, right off the bat, the first one, The Gatekeeper of Lost Minds. Wow! Wow! That's a big responsibility. (laughs) That's That's a lot lot of minds. All right. Let's. What what else? That's that is a heavy lift. 
One of them that I liked was Shepherd of the Unversed, but I kind of feel like it should be Shepherd of the Versed. Shepherd of the Versed. Right. Whoa. Because Sam's a little versed. Yeah, he he's getting versed. Some, some verse. Material. I've been versing, you know? <laughs> I've been trying out <laughs> those verses. He's got the Taoist verses, he's got the Buddhist verses. I got, yeah, big Buddhist verses now. The, those Bible verses. Uh, yeah. Another good one uh, the Protestine. The Protostein. <laughs> the Protostein. <laughs> <laughs> Who came up with that? Uh, right. Good old Mickey. Mickey. Yeah, yeah. People are getting bored Love with you. this. You got any more? Uh, Sam the Collector Steen. I don't know <laughs> That's what just you're his name. That's collecting. Just his name. How do they know my real name? <laughs> All right. Do we have any favorites here, team? Let's get this done. Let's combine them. Sam, do you like any of those? <laughs> I, I like all of them, but I don't want to choose. I'd rather be... Yeah, that's be- true. It needs I'd to be us. ...bequeathed yeah. upon me. Oh. Olivia, do you have uh, something to bequeath? Um, I kind of like Shepherd of the Verse. Shepherd of the Verse. I like that, too, because wow. it took some collaboration to make it happen. Shannon, are you all right with this? I'm down with it. Ian. You Dang. have been named. You have been titled Dude. Samstein from henceforth. You will be the occult confessor's oh. alchemical actor, Shepherd of the Verse. Whoa. We, the members of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. Anything blowing up over there? No, it's uh, it's it's going alright. Survived. All right, uh, let's uh, go ahead and open those plugs. Plug, plug, plug. I want to thank some patrons here. Getting started here, we've got Tiffany with a double R, who knows oh. her Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, girl. Yeah, I so do. welcome, Tiffany, to our family of patrons. Gabe the Butcher. Uh, well, Ga- butcher of what, Gabe? I, I had an, a butcher of actual meats. He is a, actually Probably a butcher. We have an exchange. Meats. He's a butcher. Yeah. That's what he does. That's, That's his job. kind of hype. Some people have jobs, yeah. Sam. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. He, I've been shepherding the verst. <laughs> I don't know these things. Yes. That's, I don't think that pays very well. He knows his Gurdjieff. <laughs> Butchering does pay well. I don't know about... Shepherding verses. This sure uh, doesn't. Ash, no, no. <laughs> podcasting definitely does not. Uh, Ashley B., who gave us some love on the Campfire Confessional. Thank you, Ashley. Welcome to Yay. the patrons. And uh, Holly P., who wants to know about my pronunciation of Gee Fox, which I actually picked oh. up. <laughs> there you go. I was a, uh, high, my high school English teacher. We were reading The Hollow Men. He pronounced it that way, so I guess it just always stuck. Anyway. Uh, let's move on to our sources for the day. The Trumpet Shall Sound, colon, A Study of Cargo Cults in Melanesia by Peter Worsley. We could really pick, there's a number of books written in the 60s about this, and they're all equally a thing. So Peter Worsley's is uh, the one I went with, is sort of just some background information. We've also got Naked Cults in Central West Santo, also timely, uh, written in the 60s. J. Graham Miller from the Journal of Poly- the Polynesian Society. Uh, which I believe Sam is a member of. Uh, Cargo cult. Don't help me with that. (laughs) (laughs) Cargo cult horror by Lamont Lindstrom in Oceana and uh, Waiting for John, directed by Jessica Sherry. Also, the Culture Watch report on Papua New Guinea. So those are our main sources for today's episode. Of course, we're working with secondary sources because I don't speak Papua New Guinean. How dare you? Right. Uh, What is your PhD even for? Olivia, what's in the back of your car? (laughs) T-shirts! T-shirts! I have so many T-shirts in the back of my car. That's all we have to say about that. Close up the plugs. Plug! 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 There's a little crescendo there. You got some applause. Thank you. Let's get down to this, shall we? Cargo cult time. Cargo cults had their roots in ancient traditional beliefs, which mixed with the jarring influence of modern European, Australian, and Japanese culture 
two, yes, all of those in one bucket, Sam. Uh, wow. It's <laughs> a pretty big bucket. It's a big bucket. Yeah. It's actually a small bucket, uh, oh. but we're pouring an awful lot into it. Uh, and that yielded a whole new variant of belief. They call to mind visions of tribal natives dazzled by white invaders, as we mentioned at the beginning, mistaking them for gods and worshiping them in their absence, waiting for their return. That's what most people think. If any people are able to think of cargo cults, that's usually what they think. It's natives who saw some white people during World War II and have been worshiping them ever since, waiting for them to come back. There is actually a cult that worships uh, a Prince Philip, uh, who is the consort of Queen Elizabeth II, I think he's like 93. He's an amazing man because he's still alive in his 90s. Uh, but I don't know if they actually worship him, but they wait for him to come he better, to see them. Oh, he, better he better hurry up. He doesn't have much time. <laughs> I know. I know. The, the clock is ticking. I believe he did send some royal emissaries at one point. It's nice. Uh, so, um, anyway, the fact that both Allied and Japanese forces fought fiercely on the neighboring Solomon Islands and used Papua New Guinea as a base suggests that it was soldiers who amazed the indigenous people and then vanished with the war, also apparently Philip, leaving a myth in their wake that blossomed into a whole religion. The cargo cults are to the United States Navy as UFO cults might be to visiting extraterrestrials. You got me? Okay. Uh, In fact, the tribes of Papua and New Guinea had a far more conflicted attitude toward their white occupiers, and the new religions they developed were far more complex in their practice and beliefs. Many did anticipate the arrival of a supernatural cargo, sailing into port on a ship full of their resurrected ancestors. But they also tended to believe that the apocalyptic shift drawing this great cargo to them required severing all ties with their white colonizers and that these colonizers would be wiped out in a grand cataclysm before the cargo could arrive. The whites, particularly the missionaries, had misled the islanders by sharing a Bible with the first page ripped out. The, oh, yeah, no. That's what they did. Like you do when you're out on a mission. The true origin of all religion you see was Papua New Guinea. That's what's on the first page. They ripped it right on out, trying to fool them. Make them think that the true origin of religion is white people. It's not. Oh, that's, that's not what the first page the says. The old switcheroo. The old, that's what it was. <laughs> it was the old switcheroo. Uh, the islanders were the chosen people, and the whites had usurped their proper place at the center of God's paradise. The post-apocalyptic utopia would blend the islanders' traditional beliefs and practices with the whites' technology in a new, perfect order. And that brings us to today's brief history. Uh, Now, I've invited Sean Priest uh, over to uh, give us the brief history. You'll know Sean as our, oh, what is he? He's a a voice of many, he's a king of voices. He's a king of something. We just did his thing. Well, we'll let Sean tell us. Yep, he knows. (laughs) I do believe it was the voice of many kings. The voice of many kings. A brief history of Papua New Guinea. Mm Mm-hmm. People arrived in Papua New Guinea from Southeast Asia between 60,000 and 40,000 years ago during an ice age when the sea was lower and distances between the islands shorter. The first Europeans to arrive in the early 16th century, giving the island the name Papua for the Malay word for frizzled hair, and New Guinea for its supposed resemblance to the African coast of Guinea. Yeah, they were always retitling things. There's also the New Hebrides, which are named after the Scottish Hebrides, but, you know, near Australia. The Germans began trading with New Guinea for copra, the dried meat of the coconut, in the 19th century and took over the northern part of the island, New Guinea. Yeah, Germans love coconut. 
The British took the south part of the island, Papua, and gave the Australians cus custodial rights in 1902. Australian troops took control of the New Guinea part of the island during World War I, and then the League of Nations assigned the whole of Papua New Guinea to British control beginning in 1920. Yeah, for those of you who don't know your uh, League of Nations history, that was basically the United Nations version 1.0. The island remained with the British until the Japanese invaded in 1941. During World War II, heavy fighting took place in the region, most famously in the Solomon Islands, and the islanders were pressed into service by armies on both sides as the Japanese were driven from the region. The nation was placed under an international trusteeship in 1949 and achieved formal independence in 1975. And that's a brief history, isn't it, John? Yes, it is. Yay. Very nice. It was brief, was and so it did brief. have history. Great job, Sean. Brief history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes we do those properly. Yeah. Both, where it, it describes it. Sometimes, I agree, it is neither brief nor historical. <laughs> then what's the point? <laughs> To begin, the cargo cults did not spring fully formed out of encounters with white visitors. Long before the Japanese and Americans arrived on Papua New Guinea, the Tuka cult was formed on Fiji, an island across the Coral Sea from New Guinea that had been exposed to Europeans for hundreds of years. The people of Fiji had long since been converted to Christianity, and by the 1880s it was firmly under British colonial control. But in 1885, unrest began to stir among the island's native people. There were stories of men with blackened faces wearing robes and conducting military drills along the Riwa River. A prophet by the name of Ndugomi appeared, claiming to be able to project his spirit around the country. I know I sound confident with these pronunciations, but I'm really just making them up. Just so we're all aware. Make it till you make it. Right? Just assuming we don't have any Papua New Guinean listeners, although I would welcome them. Dude, honestly, one might just show up. This just might to be it. This will like, be the one. Just like, like, when they, they see else? we're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I apologize to our Papua New Guinea listener. I will proceed with confidence. <laughs> <laughs> so Ndugomi appeared, claiming to be able to project his spirit around the country of Fiji. He predicted a complete inversion of Fiji society with white-serving natives and chiefs below their subjects. You see, everything's upside down. Chiefs are serving the subjects, whites are serving the natives. The ancestors would soon return to Fiji, and the white miss missionaries and government officials and traders would be driven into the Pacific. Straight into the sea. Ooh. Where we're all going one day. On vacation, though, so... Oh. Yeah. That, that took a turn. I'm, yeah. I'm excited. Dude, I was patrons, planning for us all to visit the seashore many, this weekend, this summer. Us, yeah, I was going to surprise How many uh, patrons do we have now? We have enough for a, a short trip oh. to Maryland's own shore. Oh. Uh, oh, to Chesapeake Bay. And I can get oh. you all. Like uh, Point you can share Park. a corn dog. That's how many patrons are at now. Yep, you can share dog. one corn dog. Did yes! one first bite, though. That's not true. We have more patrons guys, than like, that. I can get you all like a corn dog. Who a corn dog without mustard? <laughs> I was just asking. I want to make sure. We're I think all we might be beach. able to make it as far as Virginia Beach. Uh, we so, all like mustard, right? Uh, Maybe we at Virginia Beach? Mustard on Virginia Beach. Virginia Only beaches time for My point is we have enough patrons to make it to the next state south. <laughs> so, the ancestors... What was I talking about? Fiji. The ants... The, they drove them into the Pacific. The Fijian creation myth tells the story of a snake god who lived in the mountains. 
His brother, I know, Olivia's already starting to go off. I was literally about to say, why is there always a snake guy? I was, I was about to say the same god. thing, too. Always there. Because Blavatsky. His brother, the carpenter god, married a... Yeah, you don't like that answer, well, but that's god, my answer. That's Jesus. A carpenter god. Snake that's Jesus. god and carpenter god? See, but the islanders believed that they had this religion before the rest of us, so maybe they ha there's something to that. So, yes, yeah, snake god and carpenter god, but the carpenter god was married to a princess. Oh, uh, come... Okay, hey, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Her name was Mary Magdalene. No, it wasn't. No. <laughs> Conspiracy. And uh, that's that's next 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 season. Uh, <laughs> so the carpenter god was married to. I'm never gonna get through this. We're still in Fiji. We have to get to Papua New Guinea. The carpenter god was married to a princess, and they had twins. The snake god drove the twins away, but Ndugomi predicted that the twins would soon return. In their time away, they had come to be called. Jehovah and Jesus Christ. Literally, there it is. And the whole of the Bible had been written about them. Two Fijian twins from the carpenter god and the princess. The white government arrested Ndogomi and he died in exile. Because that's what you get for telling the truth. But the movement persisted, taking yeah. on a variety of forms to avoid detection, including one in which adherents disguised their activities under the cover of a, I'm not kidding here, a cricket league. A league for playing the sport of cricket, which us Americans do White not even understand a little cricket. bit. But yeah, well, I, also I think Latin and African people like cricket too. Really? It's a popular sport. Yeah, oh. people like it. Well, because of colonization. Oh, okay. Yeah, not for because good of, reasons. Okay, but because <laughs> of colonization. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> cricket. Like the, what? Are you confused about what we're talking about? Are you thinking of the bug? No, I'm not. <laughs> Wait, what were they disguising? So they, they were conducting revolutionary activities, but pretending to just be playing cricket. So they turned cricket leagues into this society for revolutionarily overthrowing the government. That's the amazing. The colonizers. Yeah. Yeah, we that's were just like, going to keep on going. That's like the tea party guys. Like if they got caught, they're like, no, nah, man, we're just playing ping pong. We're just making tea. We're just, cricket, yeah. yeah. Don't cricket games last like multiple days? Too? Oh, yeah. It's the perfect it's opportunity like for thing. planning an elaborate wow. revolution. I'm really sorry to butt in. Yeah. But what about the one guy who just wanted to play cricket? <laughs> He's very disappointed. Oh, no. I wasn't here to start a revolution. <laughs> that's our that's our engineer for the day, Mims. Are we hearing you, Engineer uh, Mims? I hope so. Maybe. Because you're on the wrong side of the law there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Wrong you can side of the law. Dub me in. Aren't somewhere. we all? <laughs> we'll dub you in. The Fijian movement wasn't... Aren't we glad that the equipment went south so that we can have this kind of back and forth? The Fijian movement wasn't necessarily a prototype for the cults to follow on Papua New Guinea because it was in Fiji, uh, 4,000 kilometers across the sea. But its similarities with the cargo cults show the degree to which these movements weren't merely the product of a single culture's lust for cargo. In fact... They were a powerful working through of the conflicted identities of natives occupied and converted by whites to a religion as foreign to them as their traditions are to us. Papua New Guinea had its own version of traditional cults with apocalyptic beliefs spurred into being by white colonizers. One of the earliest of these surfaced in the Gulf Division of Papua, the Vialala Madness, or Kavakeva, which means roughly... Head he go round. This was a partial description of the ecstasy believers threw themselves into. Olivia, you are beside yourself. That's such, I'm a little bit shook at that name. Kavakeva or head he go round? He, like, yeah, oh, <laughs> the yeah. whole thing. <laughs> Your head, he going round. 
Oh my God. <laughs> Believers used to use dance to enter a possessed state, accompanied sometimes by, hear this now, ventriloquized voices rising up out of their stomachs. Their stomachs talked. This is real. The Kavakeva also involved the use of divinatory poles. These were large, this, this was, uh, okay, so you would get a large pole, follow me now. This is your recipe for divining with a pole. Okay, I'm ready. Get a large pole, one large pole. Okay. Get several men to carry it. Got it. And Wait, how large is this pole? I'm like a telephone pole. It's oh, enormous. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we're not talking like a I flag thought, pole. I thought it was, honestly, I thought it was thinking like a stripper pole. Oh, like no, size. no, 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 no. This is a man's pole. Uh, <laughs> so I take by rock. So <laughs> the telephone poles. Women are can a carry it too. Yes, women can carry telephone poles, Shannon. But I'm we're sorry. The men carry them. But the men are going to have to carry. This is Papua right. New Guinea. So I just yeah. love the fact that women have stripper poles and men have telephone <laughs> poles. I didn't make that. I was. I thought the po- general pole was. A men have pole. phone calls to make. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> so, men man the sex lines, women man the sex poles. Oh, yes. Whenever you're calling the sex line, that's a man on the other end. <laughs> so, <laughs> the men are carrying the poles. Back yeah, to that, to yes. This has divining. nothing to do with Papua New Guinea. So, yes, we are divining with a large pole. So, you get your men to carry the pole. There's like three men or two men, one on either end of the pole, and this is what you do. Uh, if you have a guilty man, like if a crime has been committed, you ask the pole to find the guilty man, and it will carry itself, the men, it will lead the men to the house of the guilty man. Evera, a prophet, was inspired by missionaries preaching about the resurrection. He predicted that a steamship would arrive, carrying the spirits of their dead ancestors, as well as a great cargo to sustain the tribes. Villagers quit working in anticipation of the coming cargo, and a general disorder fell over the region. Although no ghost steamship ever arrived, some believers claimed to have heard or glimpsed such a vessel as it passed by on its way to some other destination. So there's a bit of divination in Papua New Guinea. Got me so far? With poles. Mm-hmm. Well, with or without poles. Uh, poles are around. They're doing their thing. But you don't always need a pole. Sometimes you just get a direct revelation. Like you Joseph Smith. You don't always okay. need a pole. Oh, no. Joseph Smith had the golden tablets. Uh, like Akhenaten. I have a question about the ghost ship. Go bringing on. cargo. Yes. Did it bring, like, unlimited cargo and it only had to show up once? Or was it? Is it like, I got to make multiple trips? The impression was that the cargo it brought would be so sufficient that you would never have to worry again about Forever. stuff. Yeah, that's why you were going to get rid of your garden and stuff, because the cargo would be so substantial, you would be good to go. Dang, I kind of want that cargo. It was a kind of an infinite cargo, I think, at least in the mythology of the ghost ship, full of your ancestors and cargo. A lot of people are going to predict the arrival of the ghost ship and cargo. So this is only the first one. Okay. How long did people wait for it? Because you said that people stopped um, fulfilling their duties because they thought the ship was coming. Um, there are people still waiting right now oh, in, wow. in Papua New Guinea and the surrounding islands. Yeah. At this moment, people okay. are still waiting. I mean, they're living their lives. They're feeding themselves. They went back to doing the things required to live. Gardening. But they are definitely still waiting. Okay. For the cargo. All right, let's talk about the man's wren cults now, shall we? Yes, let's. In Dutch New Guinea, in and around the Gielvink Bay, cults inspired by the man's wren myth rose up to oppose the colonizers. The earliest prophet or konar of this cult 
was recorded as far back as 1867. I'm going to invite our mythological players over to help me with this one. The story of Man's Wren begins with an old man named Manamakeri, who lives on the island of Mayakvundi, with wrinkled, itchy skin, and he spends all day scratching. I am so old and so itchy! My only joy in this life, the only reason I can stand this age and eczema, is the wine I gather from the flowers of the great Marais tree. But one day, Manamakeri discovered something that made him quite mad. Oh, I am quite mad! Someone has been stealing the wine from my flowers while I sat back at my hut, scratching my itches! He laid awake at the foot of the tree to try and catch the thief, but somehow failed. The flowers were emptied, even as he sat there. But how had the thief made it up into the tree without passing him? He devised another plan. Tonight, I will wait at the top of the tree. And he caught the thief. It was none other than the morning star, Kumaseri, who had descended from above to swipe the nectar from the flowers. Manamakeri grabbed hold of Kumaseri and held tight to the morning star, refusing to let him go. Old man, you must release me! The sun is dawning and the rays are so hot and bright, I will be burned away! I will give you a wand that produces fishes! That is the stupidest wand I've ever heard of! Besides, I get my fishes from my kinsmen! I will make you rich and famous! I'm too old to enjoy such things! Here, take this fruit! If you throw it at the breast of a maiden, she will become pregnant. And because of this fruit, women will want to sleep with you. Women love a man with fruit. Pretty good, Starman. What else have you got? What else? Inseminating fruit isn't enough. So it seems. Fine. Take this wand. Whatever you draw on the sand with it will become real when you stomp your foot. That's the kind of wand I'm talking about. Can I go? Yeah, whatever. Dirty thief that's also a star who's a thief. My point is you're dirty! Alright, go! Whee! On his way home, Manamakeri met Insoraki, the most beautiful maiden in the whole island. She was bathing in the sea. He tossed his fruit at her. Hi there, old man. What have you got there? Ooh, that fruit is coming right for me. Hey, get away from my breasts. Oh, actually, that's not so bad. Okay, that's enough. I said that's enough. Get out of here, fruit. Why won't this fruit leave me alone? In Soraki bore Manamakeri's child, a miraculous boy who spoke as soon as he left the womb. One minute, Mom had some fruit playing with her breasts, and the next minute, here I am. Well, wonders never cease. Hey, that old itchy man, that's my dad! Hi, dad! The village was scandalized by the beautiful young maiden having been impregnated by the itchy old man, and they all packed up their stuff and left in disgust, abandoning Insaraki and Manamakeri and their child to live out the rest of their days alone. Ugh, it sucks having to live here with just you and this talkative baby and your magic stick that you draw all of our food with. I guess the stick's not so bad, but you're so freaking old and I'm all young and hot, it's gross. Mana McCary had started to get the impression that he didn't appeal to his young wife. I mean, gross. 
So one day he made a fire and stood in the flames. Wait, what are you doing, old man? Stop acting crazy. His old skin burned away and was replaced by young, light skin. He stepped out of the flames and looked into a water shell. Dissatisfied with the color, he stepped back into the flame until he bronzed to the perfect shade. Wow, who's that hot guy? I better get out of here before your daddy sees me with him and gets jealous. That is my daddy. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I'm a miraculous talking baby. You can trust me. I guess you're right. Awesome. My husband is young and hot like me now. Manama Carey drew a boat in the sand and stamped his foot. It sprung into being complete with rowers and Manama Carey, who had changed his name now to Man's Wren, owing to his transformation into a hot young guy, set out on a voyage to all the islands of the region. Believers claim that one day Man's Wren will return. He will plant a coconut tree that will grow so tall it will bend down to Miyakwandi. The miracle child will run across it, and a new golden age will begin. The old will be young, the sick will be well, and all will be provided for. This should sound a little familiar. Our ghost ship and our cargo, right? There will be peace among the people, and no more work. Mansren served as the prototype for the myths of renewal created by the cargo cults. In 1909, a Papuan named Nomi claimed that the Whites had come to New Guinea in search of Man's Wren and started a native expedition to find him. Manjinomi was the only one to see Man's Wren on this trip and claimed he was a Konar sent to prepare the way for Man's Wren's return. You'll recall that means prophet. When missionaries attempted to undermine him, the prophet claimed that Man's Wren could not return while there were strangers in his land. We've got to push those white people into the sea. We've got to keep in mind the That's kind. That's what I always say. We got to push those. Shannon does say that she comes in. It's alarming, actually. How right. Often. We start the podcast when she comes to the theater. She says the first thing out of her mouth is, "We've got to push these white people into the sea." Yeah, he uh, just always has to edit it out. <laughs> I haven't seen show. Shannon in a few months, and that's the first thing she said to yeah. me. I was really caught off guard. A firm handshake followed by, <laughs> "We've got to go." <laughs> we've got to keep in mind uh, the kind of men, uh, the kind of mess. Sorry the missionaries created in the spiritual lives of Papuans. It was a disaster. Not only were they attempting to completely remake the natives' identity by labeling much of their traditional culture sinful, but they were arguing amongst themselves because there wasn't just one mission. There were Presbyterian missions. There were Catholic missions. There were even Seventh-day Adventists. All right. (laughs) That (laughs) sets where Sam draws the line. Then it's gone batshit crazy. I'm just, you're just pouring water on like a gasoline fire now, uh, yeah, you know, worse because the worse. Protestants and the Catholics are getting into it. I'm pretty confident the Mormons show up, but much later. Anyway, they were all help them. <laughs> competing, uh, had different competing versions of Christianity that they were telling these people that they needed to adopt. So they were basically saying either you adopt Christianity or you're going to hell. By the way, my Christianity is right, but the guy right behind you is saying, no, 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 mine is right. And then the guy right behind him is saying, no, 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 they're both going to hell, mine is right. Chaos. Spiritual chaos. So in the face of all of this spiritual dissonance, the Papuans were naturally going to seek other ways around. Sort of like we're doing right now in America and have been doing for about a hundred years. Okay, longer than that. So 
Manjinomi encouraged passive resistance for forced labor uh, and for paying taxes. He said, don't do their forced labor, don't pay their taxes. For this, he was sentenced to five years of hard labor. But he continued to... Com- <laughs> what? Why are you sorry. guys laughing? <laughs> Why? It's kind of ironic. Don't do their labor, don't, don't pay their taxes. Right, that's forced to do labor. labor. Sort of and on the probably nose. Probably pay taxes. They did. They they got right to the point there. So you don't want them to work, you can do it for them. But he continued to command the respect of his people, who sent supplies to comfort him during his imprisonment because of all the hard labor. Manzaren cults continued for decades. In 1939, when Papa was occupied by the Japanese, an old leper woman named Anjanita nearly died five times and recovered each time so that people began to view her as a mystic. She started to have visions of lights and to hear voices. She foretold the coming of, here we go again, a great ship with many masts bearing the ancestors and the cargo with a capital C. She told the people they must dance and sing a magical song in order to bring about this apocalypse. The songs grew into an expression of Papuan nationalism centered around the history and culture of the people. Believers stopped paying taxes, killing their pigs, and harvesting their gardens. They stopped paying taxes, but then they started killing pigs and harvesting gardens. Got me? Jesus, they said, was a Papuan. Yet again, like we heard with the Fijians, right? And the whites had kept that from them by, again, tearing out the first page of their Bibles. They flew the Dutch flag with the colors upside down and organized into military units who drank a holy water that rendered them invincible. When Allied air raids killed many of the Japanese but somehow spared the Papuans, the cult read this as a sign that they were the chosen people of God. The cult took it upon themselves to attack the Japanese invader, capturing and killing Japanese patrols. The Japanese, who were known during World War II for their intense brutality, especially to their Pacific neighbors, beheaded Anjanita and her co-leader, Stephanus, along with several others and machine-gunned 500 more Papuans. Yeah, the Japanese were pretty brutal. Come on, guys. Finally, the Americans came, distributing food and weapons to the Papuans to help drive off the Japanese. This was a kind of cargo deliverance, but not exactly what the people expected, and so they continued to wait. The Mansren cults show how the indigenous people of Papua New Guinea utilized traditional myths to preserve their culture in the face of colonization and to organize resistance in a way that adapted to the various invaders who settled on the island. It should remind us a bit of the uh, ghost dance, yeah? Does it sound familiar? Any yeah. of this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Becoming invincible in the face of the bullets of the enemy, driving mm-hmm. the white off. Uh, developing uh, sort of a new religion that preserved old traditional ways. It's all very familiar. But now let's get to two of the most famous cargo cults. I'm not talking about the Philip cult. That's not actually one of the more famous. The two most famous are the Naked Cult and the John Frum Cult, which I've alluded to already. These did not organize on the island proper, but rather in Vanuatu, or what the colonizers called the New Hebrides. The first cult on Espiritu Santo, the island of Espiritu Santo, began with the murder of a British planter in 1923. The prophet Rongo Furo, who had been educated in a Presbyterian school, 
predicted a great deluge that would be followed by the return of the ancestors on a white ship full of cargo. Like the Mansran prophets, Rungoforo encouraged furious ecstatic dancing, and during one of these dances, his wife suddenly died. Shit. Yeah. Ooh. Although he had managed to raise a dancer from a similar death before, Rongo Furo could not help his wife. He shouted to the believers around him that the British planter Clapcott, a man unpopular with the islanders for the way he treated their women, was the cause of his wife's death and had to be killed in order for his wife to be revived. Five men were sent to shoot him, and his death site became the anticipated place for the cargo's eventual arrival. Rungoforo's cult was the precursor for a much larger movement. Roughly 20 years later, the naked cult appeared after the war with a similarly anti-white program. The leader, Tisek, created a list of prohibitions for his followers to observe in order to separate them from the taint of white influence and to purify them. Take off your loincloths. Women, take off your leaf coverings. Take off your bead necklaces and armlets. All these things make you dirty. Go naked. Destroy all of your property which you have taken from the white man. Calico, money, implements, and in addition, destroy all of your bushcraft such as basket making and mat making. It is best to be free from these. Burn down all of your present houses and build on the following new plan. Two big community houses to be erected in each village. One for the men to sleep in at night and another for the women to sleep in at night. No cohabitation of families at night and build a large kitchen with each community house, but no cooking is to be done in the community houses. All food is to be done in the morning. No night cooking. Do not work for the white man. Destroy all animals in your villages, dogs, cats, pigs, all of them. And soon America will come and you will receive everything good. You will never die you will live forever. So, but but why kill the animals? Like he, just domestic animals, like the pets? Yeah, or? he only said he dogs said, and cats. No, he said no, pigs. He said pigs. pigs had to go too. Uh, we have to bear in mind that biblically, pigs were also generally off limits. Yeah. Do we know why? Split toe, right? That's what I was. Oh, do you think it's because Satan? Dude, that's <laughs> what I was. Dude, my what? church, my church. They were like they would run that story for uh, hours. Yeah, I that's I maybe, but unlikely. Well, I think the cloven hoof on the devil is not that old. Well, like are that's a thing they told Dude, you. Welcome to Protestantism. Uh, it's disease. The, yeah, oh. it's disease. That's, Pigs carry there. disease. Specifically, they they transmit dysentery. I'm Ooh. a little shook right now. So that's why the prohibitions against pork to prevent American the spread of disease. Protestantism. And also, like, physical pigs running around. That's going to carry some poop to places. So that's true. just cut that on out. So that's why he was like, lose the pigs. But he said all animals. <laughs> he said all animals. I don't know. He had some crazy rules. No well, cooking in the kitchen? Yes. <laughs> so where do I morning. cook? So this brought the people on together. On the Ottoman? They, they had a more communal, unified group this way. Because they were cooking in, uh, together. But only at specific times and on the Ottoman. Empire. On the Ottoman Empire. I don't. I don't. We've made a naked socialist <laughs> anti Ottoman cult. Uh, so they, or pro Ottoman, I don't know. So they all, they all learned to speak the same language as well. Uh, that language was called Maman. 
Uh, and they broke down, this broke down boundaries between tribes because different tribes would join the same cult and then we would all be part of the same organization. Did they make that language? Yeah, uh, I think it's cobbled together. Yeah, well, this is also a place where we speak pidgin English, so there's a lot of cobbling together of languages. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so Tusek's main goal was the elimination of friction between people, which he felt would reign when everyone was allowed complete freedom of self-expression. So this is going to get a little bit more interesting. Uh, So this included sex, which was now to take place out in the open, where everyone could see who was sexing who and how and when. But didn't, Could they, but they sex whoever they wanted? Yes. So next rule. Sam's ahead of me here, as he often is. Um, this was not limited to sex between married partners, but also between unmarried people and people who you were cheating on your husband or wife with. You did that right out on the lawn. This sounds like the Oneida community. Yeah, except that you couldn't cheat, I guess. But it's yeah, a same, it was similar like, idea. Yeah, it was just free love. and Everything should be out in the open and nothing should be concealed. It was really what, what our prophet was getting at here in the naked cult. So he wasn't so much interested in sexual promiscuity as he was in getting rid of secrets. I thought one of the rules that he said was that like families couldn't... Something about families being... They all had to be joined together communally. But you could still be married. Right. So... But you could also you cheat that, on your wife in the public that. Okay, yeah. I'm just connecting all of those. <laughs> Got it. Put all those pieces together. At its height in 1948, there were over 500 adherents to the naked cult. In 1940, roughly the same time period, on the neighboring island of Tana, groups of native men began to hold secret meetings from which they excluded both women and the whites. At these meetings, they received the messages of John Frum, a mysterious little man with bleached hair a high voice, and a coat with shining buttons. Sort of like Sam today. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> this, why did you bleach your hair? Uh, just fighting the man. He's going through a phase, Mom. He's going through his from phase. Sam didn't bleach his Look, hair. bleaching my hair is my life. And his buttons are not shiny. No, they're not. Hey, leave his buttons alone. They're plastic and... Blame. So, Frum may have been a prophet, or he may have been a spirit. He was considered the representation or manifestation of the mountain god, Karaparamun. Karaparamun. I was doing so well. Karaparamun. There it is. He foretold a great cataclysm in which the volcanic mountains would crumble into the riverbeds, forming fertile plains for the people to farm. And then John Frum would reveal himself to the people. The whites would go away. The old would be young again, the sick would be well, and there would be no need for work. We should be sensing a pattern at this point. This is the future liberals want. <laughs> we do have to, yes. The Volcanoes would go away. crumbling into the, this is exact. this is what woke culture gets us, right? Bernie, man. Volcanoes in the river, no whites, old people are young. Sick people are well. Right, it's it's Medicare for all. It's everything, right? Bernie's it's the on whole top. program. Bernie is just, he stole this. <laughs> <laughs> he went to Tana. Talked to the John Frum people. Uh, the cult began to follow Frum's message by restoring ancient customs that had been prohibited by the whites. The drinking of kava, dancing, polygamy. Believers spent away all the money they received from the whites, replacing it with Frum's own money, stamped with the image of a coconut. 
They held lavish feasts to use up the food in anticipation of the coming bounty. On May the 11th, 1941, the Presbyterian missions found their services empty as the Fromm movement took hold of the island. The leaders were arrested, but the movement persisted with the entry of Americans into the war. Pearl Harbor and the Americans' arrival in the South Pacific seemed to be a harbinger of the great changes Frum had predicted. In January 1942, the three sons of John Frum, Isaac, Jacob, and Lastuan... Come on! (laughs) No, but really, it was Isaac, Jacob, and Lastuan... Yeah, arrived and Jacob like, like last one. Uh, arguably, it's pigeon. Yeah, for the last of the sons. Yeah, okay, last yeah, two on. They arrived by plane in Tana and declared themselves the future leaders of the movement. So these were real guys. They were arrested and imprisoned, but U.S. troops had also begun to arrive. Many of them black. The similarity in skin tone suggested that these black American soldiers were Tana's great liberators, and the villagers happily signed on to help work on their various construction projects around the island. They were like, hey, Americans, we'll build stuff with you. You're cool. A new leader, Meloag, emerged, claiming to be John Frun, King of America and Tana. He had plans for an aerodome that would help receive the American planes full of cargo. The colonial police shut the project down, arrested Nelowag, and sentenced him to two years in prison. He escaped, living in the bush for three years until he gave himself up and was committed to an asylum in 1948. So you would think that's it for John Frum, right? Yeah. But it's not. The Frum movement continued on. In fact, it continues today, along with other cargo cults. There are 250 members of the Fromm cult living in the village of Ore, led by Chief Isaac Watt right now. I don't actually know if Isaac Watt is still alive, but he was a few years ago. There had been 5,000 John Fromm believers until 1999 when the prophet Fred... I just... that The prophet Fred. The prophet Fred. But that was his name. Wow. He was Fred. He was a humble guy. The prophet Fred... Broke up the movement. Arguably, he wasn't humble. It really depends on whether you like or dislike Fred, which is a Tana thing. It's Tana politics. We're not going to get into it. Anyway, in 1999, the prophet, for real, the prophet Fred broke up the John Fromm movement by successfully predicting a flood, taking over leadership and directing followers to join the John Fromm beliefs that they had with Christianity in a kind of unity movement. So it was like, there's going to be a flood, you guys, like next week. And then there was a flood, and everyone was like, wow, Fred knows what he's talking about. And he's like, while we're on the subject, we need to be Christian, but also John Frummy. We can do both. And then they were like, okay. But Isaac Watt said, BS, Fred, we're out of here. 250 John Frum believers uh, still exist, though. So they they cut off, uh, and, and they perform military drills and hoist the American flag in anticipation of a great cargo and they practice many ancient traditions, otherwise lost to the people of Tana. They celebrate John Fromm Day every February the 15th, and on that day, they predict, one time, Fromm will return. And that's the John Fromm cult. I'm going to bring this on home now. You ready? I'm ready. It's time for what everybody's here for, Rob's analysis. The Rob Nalysis. I don't know if you've ever announced it like that. I know. I, <laughs> we need like a, a more culty name. It's it's time for Rob's take. So <laughs> that was it. That I was the more culty. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Rob's take. So 
That's Olivia's job. You do that. You do that. Sorry. I was about to say, I was like, what are you going to say about that? I'll say it's time for Rob's take and then you do something. All right. It's time for Rob's take. Rob's take. That's just what I did, but with your voice. (laughs) Yeah, it was better. (laughs) True innovator, a mogul over here. (laughs) The cargo cults are not simply the product of benighted backward natives mistaking white people for gods. They are an attempt to make sense of the spiritual and psychological dissonance introduced by whites when they colonized and occupied their homes, bringing with them a heterogeneous religious tradition that they struggled to work into their mindset. Heterogeneous, that's our college word for the day. What, what, what do we think, team? What does it mean? Oh, you've used it before. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, thoughts? Well, if it's homogeneous, then it is of one. Yes. So, so if it's heterogeneous, yes. So it, it introduced essentially a difference that didn't fit with what they were already living with. Oh, college threw me off now. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> I love long pauses. <laughs> And now it's time. Yeah, now it's time for Sam's take. (laughs) (laughs) He's gonna have to fit it in before Rob's take comes back. (laughs) Oh, Sam's take. (laughs) (laughs) The the whites, also known as Sam, uh, brought (laughs) material. That was so aggressive. The whites. (laughs) The whites. AKA Sam. Brought material advantages in the all white. We're all, yes. That's true. Brought material, in, we're definitely not Papuan. Nope, Shouldn't even nope. be talking about this. The whites brought material advantages in the form of their cargo, but they also brought oppression and hardship in the form of forced labor. In Vanuata, a practice called blackbirding shipped thousands of natives to plantations in Queensland and Fiji, where 75% then died. Boy, we've been having a good time. It took what a dark the turn. Hell? Oh my god. Okay, but yes, this is absolutely the truth. So we gotta get real serious now. I know, listeners, I'm sorry. This is a serious topic. The population in Tana dropped from more than fifteen thousand to less than six thousand between eighteen seventy-two and nineteen twenty-six. On the neighboring island of Anitiam, the population dropped from five thousand in eighteen thirty-nine to just one hundred and ninety-nine in nineteen forty-three. These people, the point I'm trying to make here with these numbers, these frightening, terrifying numbers, this essentially holocaust, is that these people were living through a cataclysm which spurred apocalyptic visions of a vast inversion, eliminating their oppressors and rewarding them for their pain and loss. This should sound familiar. The reason I do episodes in series is because we can hear echoes of one apocalypse to the next. This should sound a lot like St. John the Revelator and his plot, right? His, his plight uh, in Rome. Or the American Ghost Dancers, who aren't even part of the series, but also suffered under oppressive re- regimes. Some of the Mansren cults believed that this inversion would even impact the natural world, with yams and potatoes growing on trees, like fruit, and coconuts growing in the ground, like root vegetables. Sea creatures would walk on land, and land creatures would take to the sea, and Sam wouldn't be so white. <laughs> and would also take to the sea. Oh. <laughs> <I'm> not... <laughs> Sam would take There's, to the sea. I have no response to that. That caught me so off guard. <laughs> Sam would turn green, grow a shell, and take to the sea. 
just sounds kind of nice. I wanted to lighten the mood, Sam. That's all. Yeah, I mean, there are straws, though. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a danger. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so it was a, uh, the point is that is a, a complete inversion of their lives. Mansren would not return the world to the way it was, but he would turn it upside down, restoring the native people so that they might recover their traditions and their control and their agency in their own homes without losing the benefits the new world brought uh, to them through the invaders. Calling the apocalypse into port required labeling and purging the evil that had divorced these people from their higher or better selves. Money for the from believers, clothing and ornaments for the naked cult, were all symptoms of that evil. By working toward the apocalypse, believers became their own liberators. But this rested on the people's willingness to believe in and maintain hope, regardless of whether or not the Savior was going to arrive. In this way, the prophecy was fulfilled. People willing to believe existed in a constant state of freeing themselves from their oppressors, People who gave up hope also surrendered themselves to the forces who sought to control them. As the people of Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea, from the turn of the century through the Second World War, knew better than most, oppressors will come and go, and there's little that can be done about them. The only thing we can be sure of is our own resistance. Today, about a third of Papuans practice their indigenous beliefs, with the rest of the country divided among the various branches of Christianity. That's Rob's take. You guys have to have thoughts now. Oh, you man. You just hit us with a lot of depressing shit right at the end Holy there. But also some lighthearted banter. You did I throw in it, a line or I two. I turned into a turtle. <laughs> so that was neat. There was that. Uh, I, guess, I guess what's really heartbreaking about this is that in a lot of ways it's a story a lot of us have heard before in a different setting. Yeah. You know? How so? Like the whites, it, colonialism, imperialism, you know, just going there and then the natives suffering the most under, you know, under their oppressors with feigned um, suggestions of making them better, more civilized or giving them salvation in some way. But in reality, when you look at, you know, in hindsight, when you look at them now, there's massive turmoil and massive psychological harm and cultural um deterioration that comes from this because they had something and then all of a sudden they're just shot with this you know there's just whites coming in just to be like hey this is how you're actually supposed to do it and you know and so they don't really know how to handle it because it's such a shocking it's a shock to the system yeah existential you know? shock yeah um yeah and i guess you know this might be downplaying a bit, but unfortunately, it's almost like just adding another check to the list of stuff imperialism, colonialism, and missionary work has messed up. <laughs> you know? We got to be careful on those missions out there, kids. Yeah, it's come up a few times, right? The mission work and the problems of mission work. But, I mean, if we really want to... This is the last... My last, sorry, Olivia is coming to us with the Doomsday Cult episode as soon as we get our equipment back and working properly. Uh, but... <clears throat> this is I'm I'm sort of wrapping up my take on on apocalypse and I think what we can see across the board is this feeling whether it's real or imagined that we are being oppressed. In the case of the Papua New Guineans, they are literally being oppressed. But anyone who is imagining themselves in an apocalyptic situation is imagining a kind of oppression. I mean, we can argue about whether or not St. John the Revelator 
was oppressed by the Romans, but he believed he was oppressed. Mm -hmm. The same is true of the people carrying the signs when they come to the college and say the end is near. Repent now. They feel as though they're oppressed by American culture. Yeah. The fundamentalist Christian. Uh, so wherever we turn, that feeling of oppression is going to breed this experience of dividing the world into good and evil and promising the good that they will be delivered from the evil. I actually, and this is not for this season, but something to look forward to going into next year, I'm going to spend at least one season questioning whether there is such thing as evil. Uh, a oh, lot of religious God. denominations, <laughs> including the religious denomination I'm closest to, does not tend to believe in the existence of pure evil. So when we assign evil and say this is evil or that is evil, it sets up these sort of apocalyptic scenarios. Okay, well, that, 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 we've had some fun today and we've had some tears. Mm -hmm. But let's go ahead and gong into that order of confessors. That just happens as a sound effect, that's so we don't need to do anything. That's all you. You thought there would be a gong he somewhere? I was kind of hoping that. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that, like, we had it in the budget for like a mini gong. <laughs> we or, actually like, a collapsible gong. That I, could be I do have a mini gong that I'm bringing to the to the theater really? from my studio in Jersey. It's yeah. actually a triangle. Don't listen. To so it. Alex from Alberta is listening on Castbox, and he says, "Thanks for the holiday gift. Best podcast <gasps> ever." Thank God y'all got the black heart. Black heart. Black heart. He gave us all, all of the love we like to get. Thank you, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Uh, Gabe the Butcher also had some love for us. We talked Gabe. about Gabe at the beginning. Uh, and Aww. we had some anonymous uh, star feeding, and we appreciate that, as always. Now, we did ask our confessors on the old Instaquisitors, uh, you know, Insta, Insta Times. Insta Times, yeah. We asked them. Instagrams, sorry, gotcha. sorry, the I Instagrams. I actually do hop on the Instagram. So sometimes when you guys are talking to us on Instagram, you are talking to Shannon. Sometimes you're talking to you me. You don't even know. Sometimes you might be talking to Olivia. We never say who it is. Hey, you posted a very <laughs> I nice... I try. <laughs> Rob posted a very nice picture of him and his baby on his personal Instagram. Oh, God, boy, don't send people over there. I only have three pictures up. There's nothing to see there. But they're all good pictures. They are. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're three for three right now. That's really oh, good. Well, thank you. Uh, so... Thanks, Sam. Let's get back to <laughs> the occult confessions, <laughs> Insta. So uh, we asked folks, since we are coming, we're, we're just one episode shy of complete, completing our this year, a year of podcasting. So we launched on Valentine's Day. So we don't end the podcast on New Year's like some of our fellow podcasts. We end on Valentine's Day. Closer to Chinese New Year, I think. When is Chinese New Year? It's like the end of January, yeah. isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, sure. Maybe. Uh, so uh, our listeners could not agree on Instagram which which episode they liked best. Uh, our friend Mickey liked Jesus of Nazareth. Aww. Also, the Magical Battle of Bit Britain. Peppermint Gum likes anything with Chuck Norris. Oh, which Aww. was just one episode which so far. I gotta gotta get some more Chuck Norris in there. Uh, also, Mechanical Birds. We had several folks who are big fans of Mechanical Bird conspiracy yeah, birds theory. Birds are not real. Exactly. I have a t-shirt uh, and a sticker. Our MP veteran for life loved uh, Crowley stuff, Lady Magic. Shane. So we had a lot of folks who actually liked whole, whole seasons. And some folks were actually, we asked about 2019, but they went back into 2018. That's fine. That's all right. That's all right. We'll take it. Uh, Shane72, uh, listener after my own heart, like the Soul series. Uh, also, oh. AT9. Also after my own heart, like Sex and the Second Coming and the Quantum Consciousness episode. My favorite. Gabe liked Black Magic and Zabraxis liked our episode on Crowley and the World War. So Crowley's coming up a couple times. 
Uh, Ayla liked our Cold War spies uh, and uh, love from many listeners for Savannah's mechanical bird theory. Mm -hmm. We also heard from Hash Buddha, but she was sliding into our DMs, so her opinions, in my opinion, are private. Oh. <laughs> well, oh. That's in the DMs. Buddha. Isn't that where we do private things? Uh, that's debatable, I guess. Oh. Depending yeah, debatable. On who it's you where I go to this, do private things. So if I'm doing things with any of you listeners in the DMs, it's private. You know, people can screenshot mm -hmm. things, right? Hmm. Mm. Privacy. <laughs> <laughs> a couple people were and like, "That sounds like running out of the door." <laughs> He's got to go delete all of his Instagram DMs. <laughs> and a couple of people. Who said are you DMing, Rob? Our <laughs> listeners. Olivia's DMT episode. Yes. Oh, thank oh, you, Shannon. Was that on Thanks. the uh, yeah, on the Twitters? Yeah, us, and I that I also said that was my favorite. Oh, pardon me. Oh pardon shit! Me. Thanks, girl. Yeah. Like, I I responded and I said. I liked Olivia's episodes when she took over, too. Yeah. So. Oh, oh, well. Olivia needs some love. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you're a Bless turtle, her. so I don't know who asked you. <laughs> I represent Rob is the, the turtle. straw <laughs> in my life. Wait, do you not go to turtles for advice? Am I the only one? Olivia, bring us on home. I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again. And again, thank you all for your patience in getting this far. We are on slightly different equipment. Hopefully by the time I edit this, this will sound much like our other episodes, but a little different. Just a little. Thanks to Mims for providing this Thanks, microphone. Mims. Thank you, Mims. Uh, and serving as our engineer since he knows how all these things work and we do not. Uh, and thanks to Mims for playing Monoma Carey today. Andrew yeah. Mims playing the role of Monoma Carey. Thank you for having me. Uh, we also had uh, in the Man's Ren myth, Brandon, our silver tongue shadow, uh, did the miraculous baby. Oh, uh, goodbye! Uh, we had uh, Brooke Merrill doing uh, in s uh, the hot lady. Yeah, I don't know her name. I don't remember. <laughs> oh, Digimon's wife. Uh, and there was a fourth person in there. Oh, uh, Hunter Hunter Sheeler uh, did did the star Morning Star. Uh, Sean Priest was here doing our brief history, joining me around the table. We have uh, Shannon Landers, our Instaquisitor. I hope everyone has a lovely day. Sam Steen, newly christened Shepherd of the Versed. If you need some shepherding. Or can't find your verses. I'll shepherd those. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia Literal Grandmaster of the Order. Goodbye, everyone. And me, my name is Rob C. Thompson. Join us next time when I take a little break, little holiday, hang out, holiday. lean back, oh. sing some things, and <laughs> Olivia takes over the mic for our discussion on... Olivia? It will be... Oh, sorry. Doomsday Cults. I was going to say it you will were, be you mine. You were hyping it before you told us yeah, what it was. Yeah, it will be mine. The mic. <laughs> It's mine. Hopefully we'll yes. have one. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> see you next time, friends. Thank you for listening. Bye. 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 Yay. Yay, nice job, team.